Birds flying high, do you know how I feel? Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel. Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. Dragon fly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean? Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean. And this old world is a new world and a bold world for me. shine, you know how I feel, scent of the pine, you know how I feel, oh, freedom is mine, and I know how I feel, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new
napkins and we choose up the teams. It was always a measure of my self-esteem Cause the fastest, the strongest played shortstop and first The last ones they picked were the worst Well I never needed to ask, it was sealed I just took up my place in
Good morning. My name is Sarah Basehart and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a member of your board of trustees and it's my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty minister as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship services during this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service we hope that you will join us in the future when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center so that we will have the chance to meet and welcome you in person. A few announcements this morning. Registration is open for religious education for children and youth. If you haven't done so, please register through the link in the chat. Members of the UUCC community who are working in healthcare are invited to join today's healthcare workers support group from 12 to 1 p.m. Today's gathering will be hosted by UUCC member Cindy Wood as Reverend Page is out on summer break. If you plan to join the group today, please see the chat for more information. UUCC community members are invited to consider joining Reverend Page and Reverend Rob Hardy's for a pilgrimage to Assisi, Italy in September next year. There will be an information session on Wednesday, September 29th at 7 p.m. with a Zoom link coming soon. Learn all about the trip and the information session through the link in the chat. At this time, I would like to share a board minute with you all. On the Sunday following the monthly board meeting, we would like to share a few highlights to help keep you informed of our work. This past Tuesday, the board was very happy to fill our open at-large seat with Katja Ford Roten for, for one year, sorry, our at-large seat for one year. The board also voted to sign onto a letter from the Council on American Islamic Relations, CAIR, opposing Islamophobic attacks on Howard County Muslims pursuing public justice. We heard a report from Sarah Davidson on her recent communication survey, approved our board covenant and more. For all the details, please read the Good Governance blog coming this week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah, and good morning, everyone. Welcome again to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia, otherwise known as UUCC. My name is Kristen Parrish and I use she, her pronouns. 
I'm a 47 year old white woman with white, brown and gray hair. I'm wearing a black shirt and my background is a flaming chalice with the words, press pause. I am honored to be serving as worship associate this morning. Our guest preacher is Karen Bergman Marsh. Karen has been an active Unitarian Universalist for the past 13 years. While serving as a lay leader of Towson Unitarian Universalist Church, TUUC in Lutherville, Maryland, Ms. Marsh heard the call to ministry. She graduated from Star King School for the ministry in May, 2020 and completed a ministerial internship at All Souls Unitarian Church of Tulsa in May, 2021. She was granted preliminary fellowship by the Unitarian Universalist Association in April, 2021, and will be ordained by TUUC in November of 2021. Currently, Ms. Marsh is a chaplain resident at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, where she lives with her husband, UUCC member Barry Marsh, and three beloved cat children. Welcome, Karen. We are so happy that you are joining us this morning. A couple of logistical things before we get started. If you are having any technical difficulties or are looking for links, please use the chat to communicate with one another and with our volunteers who are here to help. Your order of service is in the link on the website where you found the link to this service. Please email Joys and Sorrows to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net so that we might honor them during this service. Finally, one more special welcome to any visitors joining us today. We are so glad that you are here. When you have a moment, please fill out the visitors form, which will be posted in the chat. And now, as we prepare to worship together, I encourage you to settle in comfortably, take a deep breath, and release any tension that you might be holding while we listen to the ringing of the bell. Exploring Who We Are by Melanie Davis. Under the right circumstances, playing with fire is a delight. Imagine being gathered round a fire pit as the crackling flames invite us to sing, dance, and roast a marshmallow or two. Our chalice also invites us to play, although with ideas rather than with marshmallows. The flame encourages us to explore who we are, who our neighbors are, and who we are in our spiritual journeys. Today, we light this chalice in the spirit of play. Let us trust the light to guide us in this hour and in the days to come, finding joy along the way. Learn to follow, learn to lead. Feel the rhythm fell. 
Lovely to be your speaker today. I am Karen Bergman Marsh, and I am a middle-aged woman. I'm 56. I have silver hair, and I am wearing a green shirt with a Celtic symbol upon it. Please join me in the Congregational Covenant, which is up on your screen. Strengthened by our common humanity, and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit of the world and of humankind. Now, as is traditional, uh, we will all unmute to greet our neighbors and give our peace and love. Who we know? Good morning. My name is Kelly Daniker. My pronouns are she and hers, and it is my joy to serve as the religious education assistant at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. If you have children, or you have ever spent any time with children, you are well aware of one universal truth. If you give a new toy to a child, they are much more likely to play with the box that the toy came in rather than the toy itself. Why is that? Why is the box more appealing? Well, in part, it's because the box can be anything. It has infinite possibilities. To a child, that box is a spaceship or a fort 
or a car or a castle. If you've ever taken the time to watch a child play, you will come away knowing that play in all of its forms is a spiritual act. Watch a child play, look at their faces. You'll see rapture and you'll notice that they have lost all sense of time. If you think about it, that sense of rapture, that sense of losing time is exactly what happens to us when we meditate. Play, by any measure, is a radical spiritual act. Psychologist Charles Schaefer, who was known as the father of play, tells us that we are never more fully alive, more completely ourselves, or more deeply engrossed in anything than when we are playing. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you to play a game with me. I want you to think of me as that friend who's coming to knock on your door and asking you if you can come out and play. And so if you would like, you can stand for this exercise, but you can also do it while sitting. And so the game is called Go Stop Face Clap. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pretend that we're walking. So if you're sitting in your seat, just get a walking motion on. Excellent. The next thing we're going to do as we're walking is we're going to stop. And we're going to freeze like a statue. All right. So we're going again. We're going. And the next thing we're going to do is clap. One more thing. We're going. And the last thing, when you hear me say the word face, you're going to make a ridiculous face. Ready? Face. Now we're going to put all of those together. Oh, I see some good faces, Leon Learman family. Hello. So we're going to put all those together and we're going to see how we do. And remember, you can't do it wrong. All right, here we go. So we're going. Go and clap. And we're going, stop, face, go, freeze. And we're going again, and face, <laughs> we're going, we're going, and clap, stop, go, face. Ah, <laughs> nicely done. Take time to play, whatever that means for you, whether it's gardening or playing a board game or knocking on your friend's door. Take time to feed your innately playful spirit. Take time to remember that there are infinite possibilities. And think of the words of Khalil Gibran who said, and forget not that the earth delights to feel your bare feet and the winds long to play with your hair. Happy Playful Sunday, UCC. Thank you so much, Kelly. I personally cannot wait to make my sixth grade science students do that. That's gonna blow their minds. Um, okay, so here at UUCC, our financial contributions to the well being of our beloved community are freely given and very gratefully received. We will take a moment now to accept your offering while Michael again shares his gift of music. 
please follow the instructions on the screen or in the chat to donate electronically. Thank you so very much for your generosity. If this is your first time worshiping with us, please know that your presence here is gift enough. Thank you. This is an excerpt from the essay, Playfulness in Hard Times, by the world-renowned electronic game designer and through his enjoyment of games, hesitant philosopher, Bernie DeCoven. Can we be playful when it seems that times and hearts are hardening and the whole world is about to become even more deadly serious? Can we live a more playful life in hard times? Can we create a more playful world when the world seems less and less likely to become the kind of world we want our children to inherit? We are all basically playful. We were born playful and we live playfully, the cat. When we were children, we were just brilliant players, three years old, nonstop players, all of us. But something happens to us when we get older. It's not that we stop being playful. Um, it's that uh, <laughs> it's really important. We never, we never stop being playful. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Sunshine. 
But something happens to us when we get older. Playfulness is always in our core. It's that we kind of stop being, excuse me, <laughs> playfulness is always at our core. It's that we kind of don't permit ourselves to be playful. We get embarrassed at being seen being playful. We kind of get a feeling that it's illegal to be playful because, you know, you're playful, you go someplace and you're being playful and people look at you like, uh, what's wrong with you? Something must be wrong. Excuse me, Mr. Sunshine, golly. I know from experience that we all have that playful spark, that wonderful wonder, that capacity for spontaneity and delight. I know, yes, that we are all still able to become playful at the drop of a hat, given the permission, the opportunity, and of course, the hat. The challenge isn't to become playful, it is to remain playful. We have the ability, we were born with it, it's in us. But if the goal is to live a more playful life, we have to choose playfulness more and more often. And the more often we make that choice, the more playful we become, doing playful things with people and pets, both learning and working. I accept the sad possibility that the majority of us find only limited opportunities to experience our playfulness in its full physical, mental, and spiritual flower. But it's not about finding opportunities to be playful. It's about taking them. We can create a more playful life and more playful world. All we need to do is to take whatever opportunities we can to manifest our playfulness and hitch our wagons to it. Thank you. Thank you, Dave and Sunshine. And as you can see, I have one of my children also wanting to get in on the act. We couldn't have rehearsed that any better, really. I am in a liminal space right now. I ended my ministerial internship at All Souls Unitarian Church of Tulsa on May 31st, and I'll start my chaplain residency at Johns Hopkins Hospital tomorrow. Now, I've experienced periods of unemployment in my life, yet this time, over the last 10 weeks, I haven't felt the anxiety because I've had the resources to survive without paid employment. Now, I admit I feel some guilt around that, but I don't think it's all due to the advantages of my social location. In my jobs before seminary, I always felt guilt when I took vacation. Maybe you've had a, a similar feeling. Have you ever taken time off and then felt guilty about doing so? Or have you ever felt anxiety over what was happening back at your workplace while you were on vacation? I mean, have you ever taken time off only to get maybe some snide comments from coworkers or your boss suggesting that you aren't pulling your weight or you're slacking off? I know I have. As a result, the boundaries between my work and my private life has been blurred in the past. And when I was a lawyer, my vacations became working vacations. 
I remember once having to spend an afternoon reviewing documents online in the back of a gift shop because that was the only place near Glacier National Park, Montana, where I could get an internet connection. It was really kind of fun in a sense because I had tourists coming into the gift shop and they thought I was working there. So they'd ask me questions about the Indian blankets and the pottery for sale. Well, exasperated, my husband started taking pictures of me working on my vacations. The photo that's about to come up is me on vacation in Ventura, California in 2012, when my hair wasn't as gray. <laughs> um, so over the last 10 work weeks, I've been wondering why I have this guilt around taking time to relax, time to play. And I think it has a lot to do with our culture. In previous jobs, I remember hearing coworkers and bosses brag about not taking vacation for years as they pointed to their time cards, now electronic time cards, which showed upwards of 3,000 billable hours per year. Yeah, that comes out to 60 hour work, week, work weeks at least. So from my perspective, thinking about this over the last 10 weeks in particular, I think this obsession with productivity seems to be widespread in our culture. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the Protestant work ethic, which was coined by early 20th century sociologist of religion, Max Weber. The Protestant work ethic is the idea that each person has a duty to achieve success through hard work and thrift. Weber theorized that the 16th century Protestant reformer John Calvin gave a theological basis for capitalism by promoting this very idea. According to Calvin, one's industriousness and material success that resulted from industriousness was a sign that one was one of the elect of God, one of the saved. Now, Weber's theory is not without its critics, but I think it is getting us onto something. Calvin, Calvin's ideas at a very minimum have had a great deal of influence on Western culture. And thinking about it, I realize how much I've internalized that Protestant work ethic. I mean, setting aside these questions, uh, linking a person's goodness or worthiness to one's productivity, I've been asking the question, if hard work, however that is defined, really leads to more productivity, either personally or in society in general. Recent research into the role of play and recreation in our lives challenge this Protestant work ethic. It turns out that all work and no play actually makes people less productive and creative. In fact, all work and no play leads to some very negative and destructive outcomes. 
Dr. Stuart Brown is a founder and director of the National Institute for Play. In his research on violent people, he found a common thread. They had all been play deprived as youth. And other researchers have found that play reduces depression, stress-related diseases, and interpersonal violence, while increasing empathy and team cohesion. And play-enriched enriched environments promote creativity, cooperation, and adaptability among people because it builds trust. Now, based on this research, many corporations have started to provide foosball, ping pong, and pool tables in their offices for the use of employees. Now, there are downsides to this trend, which could be the subject of yet another reflection. Nevertheless, it points to the importance of play in our lives. Maybe it's time to reevaluate the so-called Protestant work ethic. Perhaps Calvin's doctrines made sense in the early 1500s, but Calvin lived before the age of science. And why should we allow him to dictate how we live today when modern research indicates the benefits of play? As we move into a new normal, perhaps we should heed the advice of Bernie DeCoven, the author of today's reading, and take every opportunity to play every day. Take every opportunity. In fact, why don't we get started, started. right now? Michael, can you lead us in a song? Absolutely. Spirit says to 
As spirit says do, you got to play when the spirit says play. Indeed. Thank you, Michael, for leading us in that rousing song. Well, August is always a bittersweet time for me because it's the month wherein two of my favorite Leos both were born and passed away. Jerry Garcia was born August 1st, 1942, and died August 9th, 1995. And my mother, Dorothy Toma Bergman, was born August 13th, 1927, and died August 18th, 2012. So I spend half of this month contemplating the days between the anniversaries of their births and their deaths. You know, not long after my mother passed, I bought an electric blue, that was the name of the color, an electric blue Nissan Juke. The Juke's lines reminded me of my mother's 1964 station wagon, which we, she called her Blue Bess. But my Juke had something that my mother's station wagon didn't have, Sirius XM. And Sirius XM has the Grateful Dead channel. Let me ask, do you have a favorite band or composer or writer? Someone who soothes and inspires you, lifts your spirits and helps you to make sense of your experience of life. Someone whose art makes you feel alive. For me, that inspiration would be the Grateful Dead or the dead for short. You could say I'm dedicated, D-E-A-D-I-C-A-T-E-D. -E -E now, perhaps I don't strike you as a deadhead, that is a person who is a fan of the Grateful Dead, yet a deadhead I am. I got on the bus, as deadheads like to say, in 1984 when I saw the Jerry Garcia Band in concert at Penn State. I sort of surprised myself at the time because I was rather a straight-laced kid. I was a bit wary of the drug culture associated with the dead, but the music and the community kept me coming back to show after show until Jerry's death in 1995. I found this culture of radical self-expression and spontaneity and experimentation totally freeing and uplifting. At Dead Shows, I felt I could express aspects of myself that I couldn't express in other contexts. I could dance with, without any sort of inhibition. And for me, Dead Shows were more than concerts. They were, and remain, a religious and spiritual experience. They were celebrations of life and collective creations of art. It wasn't just the band playing. We were all playing. And every time I heard a dead song with Jerry Garcia's virtuoso lead guitar riffs, I felt centered and connected. It, I felt this fierce joy that comes from being in community with people which is the phrase my colleague, Laura Solomon, described in her reflection just a couple weeks ago. 
what de the dead have preserved all these years is the very serious spirit of play. The spirit that allows us to wear tie-dye and red foam ro rubber noses, like the kind worn by the official clown of the dead, Wavy Gravy. Now, you might wonder at my description of a dead show as a religious experience. When I use the term religious, I don't mean an institution with creeds and doctrines, but a group of people bound together by shared values. After all, the root of the word religion comes from the Latin meaning to bind together. And when I use the term spiritual, I mean anything concerning my energy and that of others to whom I'm bound in the moment or through time. Now in the West, spirituality is often cast as something very serious and somber, something like Monty Python and the Holy Grail where we have the monks hitting their head with, with boards. And indeed, you know, in Calvinist Christianity, which I sort of described in my previous reflection, the goal of life is not to be happy, but to be holy. And holiness is defined as industriousness and self-denial. Hmm. But that is not the teaching of every faith tradition. Many Hindus believe that Lord Brahma, the creator deity, created the universe through play and that pleasure is quintessentially spiritual. You know, what's interesting though is silly comes from the word in Old English and German for blessed. Silly means blessed. So it's possible that our pre-Christian European ancestors of Germanic origin recognized the spiritual element in play. After Jerry's death in 1995, I curtailed my going to live shows really of any band, cover bands of the dead, anyone. You know, I don't know why. I guess I thought I needed to get serious about my life. I went to law school and embarked on a legal career. But when my mother died in 2012, I lost all enthusiasm for that work. I felt lost. Strangely, that Nissan Juke that I bought with its Sirius XM gave me solace. As I drove home from work listening to the Grateful Dead channel, I remembered the play of my younger days and the playfulness of my mother. I remember how she would, when I was off at school as a kid, she would rearrange my dolls and stuffed animals, and I'd come home to find them sitting around having tea or doing acrobatics on my bed or on my shelf. Ah, what that music reminded me of was that in our living, especially in times of struggle and sorrow, we cannot forget the joy that we've had and the pleasure that this world offers us. Maybe, unlike Calvin's thoughts, the point of life is enjoyment, pleasure, gratitude. 
you know, as I re reconnected with that music of the Grateful Dead, I realized that joy is the heart is the heart of spirituality. Blessed are the silly. Playing in the band. It is a signature song of the dead. Let me also quote another favorite artist 
Shakespeare. The play's the thing to capture the conscience of a king. These words were spoken by the tortured teenager Hamlet in Shakespeare's tragedy of the same name. Now, I've loved Shakespeare since I was a teenager myself. In fact, I've been a Hamlet most of my life. In all honesty, I feel very comfortable on a stage. Performing in front of a lot of people doesn't frighten me in the least, which I suppose is an excellent quality to have in a minister or a preacher. I started my life on the stage at age six by impersonating the Wicked Witch of the West for my first grade class. And dressing up in costumes and performing plays was a regular part of my play as a child. Now, when the original Star Wars movie came out in 1977, I was an enthusiastic Star Wars fan. And I met another woman, young woman, uh, in the grade behind me, who was also a crazy Star Wars fan. And we decided that we would do a duet at the Bellarmine Speech League, which had all kinds of um, acting possibilities. And we did the scene where uh, the Death Star destroys the planet of Alderaan. It's really a horrid scene, but in any case, it was great dramatic piece. And my friend played Princess Leia and I played Governor Tarkin. I liked playing the boys. Now it goes with saying, goes without saying that I participated in high school drama activities. Acting really gave me a charge. It wasn't being in the limelight per se, but working with a team of people to create powerful and affecting productions, that's what gave me joy. Acting created a sense of camaraderie for me. I was hanging out with people like me. Now, if you've participated in plays or sports or played in a band, then you know that feeling. We always started our rehearsals with improv games to warm up. Through games like Yes And, we would create narratives on the fly. And not only did improv improve our performances, it encouraged us to be in the moment with each other. Thinking back, it's no wonder that I became a deadhead. For those of you not familiar with their music, the dead is known for its long improvisational riffs during shows, something like what we began to hear at the end of playing in the band just now. In concert, their songs are generally no shorter than six minutes, as each member of the band converses with the others musically. You can hear the response and how they're playing off of each other. They're very present to one another. Well, it turns out that those improv games taught me several life skills, like listening and being present and going with the flow, even when your cat jumps up on your desk as you're doing a Zoom sermon. Improv, like acting, gave me an opportunity to rehearse for life. Now, unlike play in general, improv is play with purpose. 
and businesses are taking note. Chicago's famed Second City Improv Troupe not only performs for money, but also trains employees of corporations like Deloitte Consulting. According to CPA Peter Margaritas, who is author of Improv is No Joke, improv training helps employees of all kinds to think creatively and collaboratively when faced with new challenges. But my point today isn't so much to talk about the applications of improv in business. It's really to talk about the spiritual benefits of improv as a form of play. As I mentioned, improv requires a person to listen carefully to others in the group and to pay close attention to the others in the group's body language and their energy. In short, it requires us to be present in the moment. And being present is a key component to mindfulness meditation taught by many spiritual leaders. It's absolutely an essential quality in any spiritual practice. Now, I've never been a very accomplished sitting still meditator, but improv suggests to me that there are many ways to develop these spiritual qualities. Imagine how the quality of your relationships would improve if you listened more deeply and were more present to your family, your friends, strangers even, other members of this congregation, nature, and even yourself. At a minimum, you might enjoy life just a little more. With improv, we improve. Improv, which is really play. And so, to rephrase Shakespeare just a little, play is the thing to make our lives sing. With that in mind, Michael, will you play us a piece? Thank you, Karen, and thank you, Michael.
It is now time in our service for our sharing of joys and sorrows. If you have a bowl of water and stones at home with which to participate, please retrieve them now. This is also your final opportunity to email your joys and sorrows to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net if you haven't already done so. The sharing of joys and sorrows is a practice in our congregation where one can publicly and openly share significant and meaningful events that has deeply touched their life. As I read the joys and sorrows that have been shared this morning, we will listen deeply and lovingly, mindful of the sacredness of the ritual when we cast a stone in the bowl of communal water. The ripples form symbolize how our lives touch. There's so much, so much going on in the world right now. And I'd like to lift up some of the concerns going on around us. Let us all hold in our hearts those victims of the earthquake in Haiti. Haiti is experiencing such suffering, um, political upheaval, as well as environmental. And so let us hold them in our hearts. 
And I'm also holding those that are still suffering from COVID and its after effects. We're not quite out of this pandemic and it looks like it's going to be with us for a while. So let us hold them close to our hearts right now. And I'd also like to drop a, a stone in the water of my mind and my heart for all those sorrows that are too tender to be shared at this time. Please join me in a spirit of prayer and a moment of silence. Spirit of life, help us to remember our interdependence and that no one can be fully happy when another is suffering. Let us remember that we are each other's refuge and hope, that real love is acting with justice, equity, and compassion. It is being present to each other. Help us to remember that joy is at the core of our faith in the world and in each other. Please join me in a moment of silence. May all be well. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. Thank you, Michael, for that beautiful piece by Tchaikovsky. Our closing words come from UU Minister, Reverend Dr. Michael Schuler. As I say these words, please feel free to blow out your chalice uh, if you have lit one. We have reached the end of this time for the gathering of memory and for letting the imagination play with future possibilities. We have enjoyed magic moments 
and edified each other. Shall it be concluded then? Or will this adventure, now commenced, continue? Our separate paths converging, meeting, merging, in the unending quest for love more perfect, the joyous struggle for meaning more sufficient and life more abundant. Is this ending to be an ending or merely prelude to new, more glorious beginnings? I pose the question. In your hearts lies the answer. Go now in peace, and I will see you soon. There's mosquitoes on the river Fisher rising up like birds It's been hot for seven weeks now Too hot to even speak now Did you hear what I just heard? Say it might have been the fiddle Or it could have been the wind But there seems to be a beat now I can feel it in my feet now Listen here, it comes again There's a band out band in the hallway, hallway. They're high-stepping in the town It's a rainbow full of sound It's fireworks, calliopes, and clowns Come on, children, come on, clap your hands. Well, the cool 
came on Tuesday And the corn's a bumper crop And the fields are full of dancing Full of singing and romancing The music never stops 